Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. I want to talk about self-preservation this morning. And so um, I'm going to open it up with a quote from Francois Fenelon. And I don't know if I said his name right, so forgive me, but he's long gone. He's a 17th century writer, so I'm sure he doesn't care anymore. Um, so he said, God prepares a cross for you that we must embrace without thought of self-preservation. And currently, and this is true, so this is like current. So when I'm reading this part, it's not from a year ago. It's actually taking me this long to finish this book. It's, um, it's a book called A Hundred Days in the Secret Place. And it's like a small little, um, uh, what are the, what is, what's it called? It's a devotional, thank you. It's called, a, it's a little devotional. It's a hundred days of writings of different kind of 17th century writers. And I pick it up every once in a while and I'll flip through the book. And um, he said, so one of, he has like a little excerpt there and he was talking about the cross and he was talking about self-preservation and that just stood out to me. And I prayed on it and I thought on it and God's really had been teaching me even through the last year of, of self-preserving, of protecting myself, of guarding myself. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? To guard ourselves and to protect ourselves. I, this is what I don't understand. And I know some, most of us probably do it here in this, in this room, so I'm not, don't get mad at me. Um, but I notice a lot when people walk around in the streets, you have your headphones on, right? You have like the big headphones on, noise-canceling headphones. I'm too scared to do that. <laughs> I wanna, like I want to be fully aware and open. Like I get on the subway and I look at all the exits. I look at people and I'm like, all right, who looks like I need to run away from you? I'm always prepared and that's probably not a good thing. Um, my husband, when we were uh, lived in our house in Texas, he would come and he'd be like, why is this knife hidden under the carpet? And I'm like, just in case, like, hello, you gotta be prepared. And he'd walk into the garage, he's like, why is there a knife hidden up here? And I'm like, Steven, there's knives hidden all over, okay? You never know what's gonna happen. He's like, you need to calm down. So we got a, uh, we got an alarm system and I put away the knives, so, except for like one hidden he didn't know about. Um, there's a reason why I am the way that I am, okay? And we'll get into that later. But I've learned to calm down, learned to trust God, and I've stopped hiding knives, especially since because I have a little little ones. So, yeah, we can't be having them find those. But I'm just kind of always on guard and ready to protect myself, right? Self-preservation, man, especially here in New York City. It's a thing, and you got to do it, and you got to live that. Um, so I don't get it when people with the headphones and they don't they don't hear anything or they don't see anything and they probably don't have it on very loud either because you know I, I don't know I never wear headphones walking around the city, um, but anyway, so I've been finding myself drawn to the old and I've been longing for the perspective of those who have lived a life outside of our current culture. So I turned to that book, 17th century writers. There's a few of them in there and there's just something about the way that they write. There's something about the way that they process that people just don't process anymore. Now, don't get me wrong, I love the current preachers, um, but I have kind of stopped listening to them. I've stopped YouTubing them. I've stopped, you know, kind of putting them on on podcasts. And I've just been drawn to people like Elizabeth Elliot. She's no longer with us. Um, she lived a really long life. She lived past 90, but um, she's very solemn. There's no bells and whistles to her. It's just straight word. Um, but I've been finding myself drawn to that, to just, um, just just people that have been there and have done that, but not in this current culture. Um, their plain presentation of the gospel is kind of what draws me to it, I think. Um, 
But I've also found that their preachings and teachings have more to do with leaning into suffering and leaning into hard times than it does on how to get out of it. And, 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 and I'll tell you why that's important to me. Um, because that's what Jesus did. He leaned into suffering. You know, there was a moment when he did pray to God about being on the cross, right, the night before he was going to be crucified, and he asked his father, Pass, if this, take this cup from me, right? And he said, but not my will, but yours. And then he leaned into his suffering. Um, and with that, certain scriptures come to mind. I'm going to read in Mark 8, 3, 4. I don't have any notes. Again, like I said, totally off the cuff today. Um, so no notes. So if you want to write these down, the scripture verses, I'll have them. If you miss them and you want to ask me, I'll totally, um, I'll give them to you right after service. So Mark 8, 3, 4, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, conforming to my example and living and in living and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Romans 6.6, 6, this is in the Passion Translation. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we are co-crucified with Jesus to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Jesus. That is, in him, I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Self-preservation is defined as this natural or instinctive tendency to act so as to preserve one's own existence. There's another one that says um, to protect yourself from dying, right? When we pick up our cross, we tend to self-preserve the total destruction of who we think we are. Thinking that God would put a fairy godmother Cinderella miracle to the current rags we wear, um, has anybody seen the Cinderella movie? Not the cartoon one, but the one that like recently came out a few years ago. Anybody? So there's a, I really like that Cinderella. It's a really good one. Um, there's a point in time where the fairy godmother comes and she does all of these miracles and like makes the pumpkin and does all of this stuff. And the very last thing that they do is change her. She's sitting there standing in these rags because her stepsisters and her stepmom tore her dress to pieces and it was her mother's dress. She tore it to pieces. Um, and so the fairy godmother said, I'm going to make you something new. And Cinderella says, no, I don't want anything new. I, I want to wear my mother's dress. Can you just fix it? And the fairy godmother said, how about I keep the integrity of it, but I just make it more beautiful. It'll still be your mother's dress, but I'm going to fix it and make it even more grand. And sometimes that's what we expect God to do. We like, I, I still kind of like who I am. Um, so don't change everything, God. There are certain parts of me that I want, um, and that's when our self-preservation kicks in. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. You want to touch that part of me? I kind of like that part of me, or I want that part of me, or I'm used to that part of me. Um, and that's how I kind of got that word picture for me of how when God wants to change and transform our lives, we hold tight to, to what we have and who we are, hoping that his transformative power will still pay homage or, um, sorry, I think I said that wrong, to who we once were, perhaps a 2.0 version of ourselves. 
We want God to transform us, but still kind of keep us who we are and kind of staying in what we do. Um, but the word of God paints a very different picture of that process. His word says that the old things have passed away, they are dead, and he does not choose to revive our old selves, but rather resurrect us as new creature, creatures altogether. He wants to completely transform who we are. Who I was before Jesus, I'm sorry, I don't want any part of that. And when that part of me starts to creep up, I have to calm it down because that part of me was angry that part of me had a chip on my shoulder. That part of me looked at every man like they were going to hurt me. That part of me causes me to yell at my kids unnecessarily. That part of me causes me to treat my husband like I would my father or if he, treat, or if he was my father. That part of me needed to die. So when I decide that I'm going to take up, take up my cross and take Jesus as my Savior and say, God transformed me, but hold on. Because the way that I learned to protect myself the way that I learned to protect myself from my father is still kind of necessary when someone wants to cross me. I could still pull from that person. Like, let's not get rid of that person, right? Because I developed some really good weapons for someone who's going to cross me today, you know? So I, but God's telling me, Priscilla, I didn't create those weapons for that person who's going to cross you today. That one you've built up on your own for your father so that you can stay alive, so that you can, um, be okay so that you can still stand on your own two feet but those weapons from back then are not for today and sometimes when we got want god to transform us we hold on to weapons that were used for yesterday or used for years ago and so god is continually trying to transform us and sometimes we continually try to hold on and god's saying let's change let's change from day to day lean into my word from day to day so that i can show you how you're supposed to be today, how you're supposed to handle that situation today. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual conditions have passed away. Behold, new things have come, because spiritual awakenings bring a new life. We need to realize for our own sake that picking up our cross to follow Jesus requires much more than we've been telling ourselves and others. We have become shocked under the weight of what we perceive to be the cross when, we, when really it's the bags we have unnecessarily packed to go on the journey with Jesus that is causing our knees to buckle. Have you ever felt that? Have you felt like, man, following Jesus is too hard, it's too heavy, it's too much. Like it's just too much. And we're saying, God, your word says that. And, and Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you, lean from me, follow me as my disciple, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed, quiet for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. If it's supposed to be so light, why does it feel so heavy? If it's supposed to be so easy, why is this so hard? Right? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like my Christian walk is not that easy? God, your word says this in Matthew 11. But I find that it's not his cross that's heavy to bear, but we packed all of these bags and took them with us. We packed our old man and we're saying, I'm going to carry this dead person while I carry your cross at the same time. And we wonder why we can't do it. Right? Have, have you, who's seen Friends? I'm sorry, we're having a lot of like TV references today. 
Do you remember when Phoebe was playing on that Pac-Man thing? I don't know. If you haven't seen it, it's okay. You'll still understand. So she got obsessed with the Pac-Man game, one character, and all of her friends were trying to get her away from it because she wasn't, like, taking turns. This is, like, a grown 30-year-old woman refuses to take turns for a video game. And so... Um, when they went to take her off the chair, she like went limp and turned into dead weight so they couldn't like carry her. She got extra heavy. Dead weight is very, very heavy. It is not the same from carrying my child when they're awake to carrying my child when they're asleep. Totally different scenario. It's very heavy to carry dead weight. And we decide that who we were supposed to get rid of, we don't want to get rid of ourselves, the dead man that, that we were saying, you know what, God, yes, transform me and I don't want this person anymore. We take up our cross and then we look back and we're like, but I'm going to miss that person. I'm going to miss that part of myself. I want that. I don't know if I fully want to give up these things. I don't know if I want to give up that relationship. I don't know if I want to give up this, our work, I'm, and I don't say this lightly, give up this addiction, our work at trusting Jesus to give up an addiction. I've grown up around addiction. I know it's hard. I do. But I've also grown up around addiction and see people overcome with the power of the cross and the power of self-denial and the power of getting rid of self-preservation when it comes to Jesus. And so when we carry our cross and our dead man, it's very, very heavy. But yet we look to God and say, God, you promised this would be light. And he was like, but I told you just to carry the cross, not your old self too, right? We find ourselves being crushed under the weight of following him or our call. There's two different things here. Some of us are just learning to love Jesus, right? And that can seem kind of heavy. But some of us have already started a relationship with Jesus, and now we're contending with our call. Now we're contending not just with serving him and saying, Jesus, I'll follow you, but now we're saying, I'm also going to follow you with my life, with my call, what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not necessarily talking about ministry and being a preacher or being a pastor and evangelist. I'm talking about your call that you take when you walk into your workplace, when you walk into the subway, when you walk into the, the corner store, when you walk into Whole Foods, um, when you walk into your school, the call that God's given us to go and make disciples of all men and all nations, that wasn't just set aside for the preacher. That wasn't just set aside for the pastor. That is set aside for every person that would call on the name of Jesus because we take advantage of that call, right? We take advantage of, of, of being saved and saying, I'm going to heaven, right? We get to partake of that. I get to spend eternity with you and find peace here on this earth while I'm waiting for that place, right? So with that comes responsibility to every person around us that if they don't know Jesus and we know the severity of not knowing him, why wouldn't I want to spread that? Why wouldn't I want to love on my brothers and sisters who have yet to know Jesus the way that I do, have yet to know the peace that he brings with knowing him? Jesus' words were very clear that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? So when I find myself feeling like the weight is crushing, I force myself to take a step back and I ask the Holy Spirit a few things. What is on me that you did not put there, right? What is on me while I'm carrying my cross, I'm following Jesus that's on me that Jesus didn't intend for me to carry? What is on me that I refuse to let go? What are things that God says, you need to let that go. You need to cut that out. You got to stop with that, but we refuse it. I asked myself, am I resisting the cross and its work in me somehow? The cross does a work in our lives. It does. When we accept the cross and we say, I'm going to carry this, it starts to begin to work itself into our hearts and our lives, and we can resist that because the cross 
is transformative and we can resist change and we can resist its transforming power and it can become heavy in that sense. When, we're wrong, when we wrongly perceive the cross to be unbearably heavy, we become burned out by ministry or simply being a disciple and we find ourselves resenting the call and then we begin to resent Jesus for giving it to us. We begin to resent Jesus for just appearing in our lives and saying, I want to be with you. We begin to resent that. In our younger, more zealous years, many of us with sincere heart declared to the Lord, use me at any cost. Whatever you want, Father, use me. I'm here. But those words were spoken by childrenless, right? Marriageless, careerless lips, right? We spoke those and we had, you know, not a whole bunch of responsibility on our lap, right? Use me, Father, and then all of, and then life happens. Furthermore, how many times have we been counseled or have given counsel to other guilt-ridden followers of Christ to say that Jesus understands our time away from him. He understands when we can't make time for him, right? How many of you have done that or said that? You have to raise your hand. I've said that. I'm like, I've, you know, a mom who's crying and can't get a quiet time. Jesus knows. He knows that you're up all night with the crying baby. We, I, you know, someone who's just started school. Jesus knows that you're busy and your, your schedule's full. We've done that, right? To say that Christ understands or doesn't understand or he does understand, right? Like he doesn't understand that I have all of this thing in my life or he does understand that I have all these things in my life and we use that to excuse our time apart from him or our time not spent with him. It's not, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a very good excuse because time spent with him helps us to deal with the career. It helps us deal with the load that's on our plate, right? Time with him helps us get up in the morning, but we convince ourselves that we can't take that time out because I can't get up in the morning. I'm so tired from the night before. But if we're not with him, we're gonna continue beyond this perpetual circle of just worn out, burn out. He is the requirement of being able to open our eyes in the morning when we've had a full day. He is the answer to every kind of stress in our lives. Leaning on him is the answer to that. And yet we counsel each other and say, oh, it's okay. You're in a season that's busy. And it's like, no, if you're in a busy season, you need him more than ever. If, if, if you're a mother of a newborn, you need him more than ever. And there are times in the middle of the night when I would nurse my babies, and my son especially, he nursed like three times till he was two throughout the night. And I find myself frustrated being woken up, and I'm like, you know what, God, I'm already awake. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? I'm not doing so good. I'm so tired. And there are these sweet moments that I've had with Jesus with just me and my nursing babe being able to talk to God when I normally wouldn't wake up to speak to him at three in the morning. I don't do that now, you know, but, but I did when I, my son would wake me up to feed. And I'm like, you know what? He's eating. I need to feed too. God, feed my soul. I need you. I'm tired. You know, when you find yourselves waking up in the middle of night because you're stressed about work, call on the name of Jesus. He's there for you. If you're going to be up anyway, but we tend to, and I do this now. I, the first thing I do is I roll up six, three in the morning and I have insomnia or something, I get my phone and I scroll and I start to go through Facebook or Instagram, right? We look, that's the first thing we think like, oh, I can't go to bed. Let me see what everybody else is doing that can't go to bed, you know? So let's 
Let's try to do that. Let's try to put that into our lives. If you know what, Father, I'm going to learn to call on you. And it's a learning thing. And it's a deprogramming. Because this is addictive. There are studies upon studies upon studies of how addictive our phones are, our screen time is. It is so addictive. And there are times when I'm like, God, shame on me. When I, my kids are playing and laughing and, I, and I'm there on my phone, not even doing anything important. I'm like looking at what somebody does that, like, that I knew from high school, you know what I mean? Like 10 years ago that I've not spoken to in forever, but what they've just put on Instagram really ticked me off. You know, and I'm like, you know, putting something in like a racing, I'm like, you know what, Priscilla, calm down. They, you've not talked to them in forever. Like you used to be cool <laughs> in high school with them. Let's not start beef now. But we tend to get busy by things that really aren't meant to, supposed to be busy for us. And we miss out on really amazing opportunities to connect with one another, to connect with Jesus. Sorry, I'm trying to find my place. In reality, he provides the rest that's required when living a life for him that's here on this earth. He does, he provides the peace. He provides all of those things, but we've got to go to him and we've got to keep our hearts open to him so that he can give it to us. I found myself bound by the excuses that I created in order to attempt to maintain the blessings that the Father had given me. And it all begins with the misunderstanding of what taking up the cross actually means. Isn't that crazy? God blesses us with all of these blessings. He blesses us with children. He's blessed us with a good job. He's blessed us with all of these things. Yet it's those blessings that we can make as our excuses to stand away from him, to be away from him, to not spend time with him. All of these blessings that we have that he's given us, we then use as an excuse to put back in his face and say, but I can't. Look how full my plate is. Look what I'm doing. I'm so busy, right? We then turn that back. And we need to figure out why we do that? Why do I do that? And I'm asking myself that. Why do I do that? You know, because it, in order to be, to be able to handle and be a good steward of the blessings that he's given me, I need to be a good steward of the time with him so that I can handle the blessings, so that I can do good by those blessings, so that I can do good with those blessings. Jesus said that picking up our cross requires self-denial. What happens to our emotions and our zeal when picking up our cross Takes, takes up room in our family time, right? What happens to our passion and our zeal for Jesus when picking up our cross um, takes up room in our alone time or our rest time, right? Then that's when we can kind of see like, all right, God, what am I willing to move for you? What am I willing to lay down for you? Put that up against, you know, anything that you find really important in your life. Can you say, Jesus, you can, you can set up here before that. What happens to our emotions and zeals when picking up our cross clashes with our personality traits? But I'm an introvert. You know, I'm shy and I can't speak to somebody. I can't tell people about Jesus out of nowhere. I've only known them or I've only worked with them for three years. You know, like I can't talk to them. You know, I don't want them to get mad at me. Or if we're an extrovert, well, I'm just loud and they just need to deal with it. Right? You know, or that's just how I am. When Jesus says, hey, this requires a different part of who you are and a part that you need to learn how to be, a different part of who I am that you need to learn to be. Sometimes Jesus is the peacemaker, right? I'm not naturally a peacemaker. I, okay, I'll be honest. I really love confrontation. I do. It's really, it's fun. And I like arguing. I like finding angles to argue. And I like being able to, even if I'm wrong, still make you think that I'm right. It's really great, right? I should have been a lawyer, but then I knew a lawyer and it's a lot of paperwork. So I'm so glad I wasn't a lawyer. You know, 
but Jesus wants us to be transformed like him. So it's not about me not being me. It's about me applying who Jesus is to a particular situation that doesn't need me. It needs Jesus, right? If a certain situation needs peace and I'm not naturally a peacemaker, then I need Jesus to be the peacemaker in my life and teach me really quick so that I don't ruin a relationship, right? And so it's not about not being yourself. It's about being like the Father, right? So it, it can clash with our personality traits. It can clash with our money, how we give it, what we use it for, how we stretch ourselves when we see somebody who's in need and we say, you know what? Don't worry, I got that bill and you don't have to worry about paying me back. Oh, you're in need, don't worry, I'm, I'm gonna be able to be there for you. It's about giving back and forth and being able to meet a need. What if um, your zeal and your love for picking up a cross or, like t or being with Jesus takes up room in your travel dreams, right? traveling. If you would have told 20-year-old Priscilla that I had not been to Brazil yet, I would have been like, you're crazy. I'm going there regardless. Or Rome or Italy or any of the, it was the same place, sorry. You know what I mean? Or just travel, period. Um, I would have been like, you're crazy. And I've traveled here and there, don't get me wrong. But I look back on my life that have taken me away from different things that I had, and I wouldn't take that back for a second because I've allowed myself to be used by God, right? So I don't look back at those as regrets because they're still there. I could go there anytime. Um, not right now. We're church planters, so we're pretty, pretty much here for a little bit. Um, but being able to travel, being able to give that up so that I can accomplish what God has me accomplish here and not look at resentment of my past. Why didn't I get to go to these places? Well, look at the things I've got to do here, right? Um, that what if, you know, God's call on your life um, clashes with your birthday weeks or weekends. And I don't know when that became a thing. That kind of bothers me. It's like people take up like, it's my birthday month. I'm like, okay, am I supposed to celebrate like all month long with you? Um, most of the time I attempt to engage in spiritual warfare thinking the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy when really it is our loving Savior molding us into receptacles of his power through loss and self-denial. Many of you have gone through major losses and great disappointments. And just as Jesus has wept with Mary and Martha over the loss of their brother, he will weep and comfort your tender souls. I make no light of loss, right? Loss is a real deal hurt that is deep and it's emotional and it's wounding, right? But Jesus is the one who comforts and he tends to our souls and we need to open ourselves up to that. But on the other side of loss, Jesus can move in that. He can use that to be receptacles of his power. And I say that because I got that from the woman, Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote that actually right after she lost her husband on the mission field. Um, she wrote that and she's like, I'm going to use this loss. My husband who was murdered um, by people who he was trying to help save. And she said, I'm going to use this as a receptacle of your power, Father. Use me in my loss. Like, who does that, God? Man. That's insane. But there are people here and there are challenges that, that, that you have and that you have to face through loss. But I'm here to tell you that God can use even that and he can heal you even through your loss. He knew that the death of Lazarus when Mary and Martha lost their brother Lazarus would set the stage of his power to be displayed and you will also see a great power displayed in your life. Self-preservation can be very sneaky. For me, it's especially sneaky, like I mentioned before, because of my tumultuous upbringing. I didn't have a happy home. It wasn't happy, and I had to 
guard myself. I had to protect myself. And it was self-preservation for many years was a necessary for um, survival for me. Um, and not like physical survival, but just like mental survival and just being able to get up the next day and not live depressed. Um, I have prayed and asked God to remove my fight or flight reflexes because I kept them. Like even though I left my home, I still had these fight or flight reflexes that were turned on and I never flight. <laughs> I always fight. <laughs> it's a stay. I'm never the one to run away. I'm always going to stand my ground and fight even when it's unnecessary. And, and being married, I'll tell you, really iron sharpens iron and God has used Stephen um, to help me with that and to calm me down. He's like, why are you fighting me? I don't know. That's what I do. So and it's just having to learn to calm down and say, God, what is necessary in this situation? Is it time for me to fight or is it time for me to allow you to bring peace? And I've needed God to shape that for me. And I know some of you here may have had that same background where every battle is worth fighting, right? Not just the war, but I want every single battle that makes it to the war and I want to win every one. That was me for so many years. Um, I'm ready, and I was always ready to defend what is mine and make a case for what I think I deserve. So when picking up my cross requires sacrifice and self-denial, the battle with my self-preservation instincts began. And I do not, and if I do not have the active guiding presence of the Holy Spirit, then my perspective shifts to the, and the old man rises up within to fight against the work of the cross in my life. When I find myself resenting the work of the ministry or resenting transformation, I know that I'm self-preserving. I know that I'm protecting myself against Jesus. And I need to just let go and be like, God, you can transform me. I'm fighting you and I need to stop. Romans 12, 2 says this, And do not be conformed to this world any longer and its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves that the will of God, what the will of God is and that is which is good and acceptable and imperfect in his plan and his purpose for you. Jesus and transformation, they go hand in hand. His death and the resurrection allows for the forgiving of our sins. However, Jesus in no way enables our sin. We're supposed to be transformed out of it. And I'm not saying you're not going to find a new sin to get yourself into. Um, but God, it's a revolving door of sinning and forgiving. Okay, God, like I did this change me change me all right i've got myself into this mess change me move me from what makes me do these things change me it's not about the sin but it's about why do i sin that way why do i do this why am i lying why am i hurting why am i stealing why am i addicted why are all of these things happening it's not the sin itself but it's why am i doing these why am i turning to these things and not you and I can't answer those questions for you. Those are things that you have to go on your own and say, Jesus, why do I do that? What's going on? You know, we all have pain and anger. When I get mad at my kids and I yell at them unnecessarily, it's not, yes, they did something, right, for me to be mad at. But my reaction wasn't their fault. How I reacted, the intensity of my reaction wasn't on them. And I have to take a step back and be like, why, why am I so angry? What's going on in my heart? You know? Our wrongdoings is a pinpoint of where there's an open wound in our heart. There's something off when we do things that aren't pleasing in the sight of God. 
and it shouldn't make us feel shame. It should make us run to Jesus and say, all right, God, I have, I have something here that's not right. Tell me what it is and let's make it straight. But instead, some of us turn to shame and condemnation and we try to ignore it and we don't want to confront it because we're ashamed of what we just did when really God's saying, hey, I'm showing you a bruise, which means there's internal bleeding, or hey, there's blood gushing out, which means there's a cut. Let's fix it. So when we sin or when we yell or when we argue or when we're mad, it's not for condemnation. It's not for shame. It's God saying, hey, this is an outward expression of something inwardly that's going on in your heart. Let's work it out. Let my peace come over you. Let my heart transform you. Let the cross transform you. Instead of being ashamed, we should lean into that and say, God, something's off, right? Why did I react that way? Transformation from a life of sin to a life that looks progressively more like Jesus is the proof that he is Lord of your life. If there is no transformation in your life, then I fear we must question if we've truly taken up our cross and are following him. If you've said, Jesus, you're Lord of my life, yet you are still the same person that you were years ago, and I'm not saying there's certain sin that take a while to get out of, but say this is something you've been dealing with and it's been 10 years and, and you can't get over it, check how you're carrying the cross. Check if you even put it on your back. Check if you're resisting the transforma transformation power of Jesus and see, God, how, how am I with you? Am I receptive to you? Am I receptive to others in my life that saying, you know, I, I, for a while there, several people in my life would be like, you're so selfish. And I'm like, why do people keep calling me selfish? I mean, different people in my life, like not just like one same person. And then I finally took a step back. I'm like, man, maybe I'm selfish. <laughs> you know, If enough people that don't have to do with each other are telling you this is kind of an issue, then maybe that's kind of an issue, you know? And instead of getting offended and closed off, we just say, you know what? Maybe there's something that in my heart that needs to be changed. And guess what? They don't need to change you. And that's a good thing, right? Boston and Avia, my son and daughter, they're two years apart, and they're constantly trying to change one another to their, you know, to fit their own needs, of course. Like, you know, Boston doesn't want Avia to be so selfish with sharing, but then when it's Boston's turn to share, he's like, these are mine, you know? So, and they're constantly trying to call each other out. Well, you don't share, you don't share, and it goes back and forth. And I tell them, like, it's not about, yes, you can call, you can say something, but it's not your job to change them. Right? And if you're going back and forth saying, well, something is wrong with you. Well, something is wrong with you. And you're constantly going back and forth like, no, it's you. No, it's you. We're closed off to one another. And so sometimes you just need to take a step back and say, okay, maybe that is something that's wrong with me. And I get it. You're trying to tell me. And instead of getting offended, kind of walking away from that situation, but going straight to God and say, God, okay, is this real for me? Is this really how I am? Give me a long, hard, honest look of who I am. And if that's something that I need to change, help me change. Help me be the person that you want me to be. Why take up our cross? And I'm about to close. Why take up our cross at all, right? If it seems kind of heavy or hard or very, like with self-denial, we deny our self-preservation. Why do it at all? And I was reminded as I was thinking about that, why would I do this? Why would I tell some of you guys, why would I tell y'all to do it? Why would I tell myself to do this? And I was thinking about that question, and then I thought of um, Simon. And I, um, he is um, not the disciple, or not, not the follower of Jesus, but the one who they asked, they pulled him out of the crowd to carry Jesus's cross. And I just kind of saw that in my mind. And I'm gonna read this from Luke 23, 26. 
As the guards led Jesus to be crucified, there was an African man in the crowd named Simon from Libya. He had just arrived from a rural village to keep the feast of the Passover, and the guards laid Jesus' cross on Simon's shoulders and forced him to walk behind Jesus and carry his cross. So they pulled out a man from the crowd and said, I need you to carry it because Jesus could no longer do it. He had been beaten and he had been bruised, um, ripped, beard ripped out. He had, I mean, just wounds completely open, and he was tired and he was climbing up. Right? And so they grabbed this man from the crowd and they said, you need to carry the cross. And the thing is, is God's asking us to carry a cross and he's asking us to die and he's asking us to give up and self-deny, but not in the way that Jesus did. Jesus did it in a way that we could never, ever do it. He did it in a way that caused a transformation power, not just over one person, not over the man who carried his cross for him, but for every person that ever was and that ever will be here on this earth, he did it. And his blood was so precious and so miraculous that it was able to cover over every single sin that we would ever make and that we'd ever done. And so there's Simon carrying the cross, probably wondering why. Why me? Why me? I just got here. Like <laughs> He just traveled. He just came, probably came up on a crowd and was like, what's going on? And they're like, you. And he's like, what? I, I just, I'm not even from here. And there he is carrying this cross, probably not knowing what's going on. And, I'm, and I can imagine how this goes. And this is not in the Bible. This is just my imagination kind of filling in some gaps for me, trying to figure him out. But I can imagine if this were me, after everything was done, I would lean over to crowd and be like, what's, what's the deal with this guy? And maybe that conversation went, this is Jesus. He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. Like, there's nothing. I don't even know what he's done. And they're, they're crucifying him for no reason, for no reason. And I can imagine Simeon kind of internalizing that and thinking about all the things he's done and that he probably deserved to actually finish off that cross, Right? to be hung on that cross. And Jesus is saying, okay, you carried that for me, but I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna die on that cross for you. I've done nothing wrong, but I'm gonna take on your sin and I'm gonna take on your punishment and I'm gonna die for you so that I can be with you eternally, so that I can be with you, not just eternally in heaven, but here on this earth so that I can bring you peace and that I can bring you healing and that when I transform from the cross, from death unto life, when I resurrect and that transformation power makes its work in me, that power that is going to be in you. So when you guys feel like you're dead and you've got no more left in you and you don't know why you do the things you do and sin has a hold on you and you can't break free, know that Jesus died on the cross so that you as well can have a transformative power that can change you from one person to the next. You're not meant to be the same. And Jesus has that power for you because of what he did on the cross for us. So yes, Simon carried a cross, and God is asking us to carry a cross as well. But it looks very different for us than it did for Jesus. Jesus finished it. He did all that was required to be able to allow us to not just carry a cross, but transform and be different and move from the things that have us bound. My prayer for you is that if, you find, if you're finding the cross and the call too weighty, and that that you will turn to Jesus who is gentle and humble in heart. And in him, his word says this, that you will find renewal and quiet and rest for your souls. That's in Matthew 11. For your souls, he's promised that. Come to me and I will give you rest and renewal. 
I will bless your life with rest. I will bless you with renewal. When you feel tired and worn down, come to me and I will renew you. There you will find the strength to cheerfully, and I'll say that again, cheerfully rid yourselves of the old ways that should have been laid down when you picked up your cross. I pray that your awareness of the Holy Spirit would be heightened and your ear would be fine-tuned to his words so that the direction of your path would be clear and fearless. I pray over your heart a renewal of deep trust and plans of the Father. He promises these things to us. He promises that when we bear his cross, that it is easy and it is a light. And I'm telling you, if you're feeling it heavy today, if you're feeling like, I don't know if I can do this walk today, I don't know if I can live like Jesus is requiring me to live, I want to tell you that today that you're not necessarily living in the promise, but you're carrying some bags. And that if you just let them go, you'll find yourself to be a little bit more weightless. You'll find yourself to find that his calling is full of peace. You'll find yourself to know that his calling is renewing. But we have a wrong perspective when we carry all these bags with us, when we carry that old man with us. And I believe that today Jesus wants to break that. I know today Jesus wants to, to change that perspective. I know that he wants you to walk out of here feeling lighter than what you've ever felt. And that comes with coming with the, into agreement with the transformative power of Jesus. And there's no 12-step program to get that. It's just saying, Jesus, take it away. I let it go. And all of us know in our minds those things that come to our minds that I've, I refuse to let go. I'm sure as I'm speaking and I'm talking, there's things that are flashing in your mind that you're like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's got to be the devil telling me to let that go. I've done all this. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if that's you, God. I don't know. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit speaks and he moves. And if there's something that kind of flashed in your mind, that might be it. And sometimes we fight it. And sometimes we think, we try to blame things on the devil. And the devil's like, I've done a lot of things, but I did not do that, right? <laughs> it's like, that wasn't what I, you know, that wasn't me. Jesus wants to transform. He wants you to be transformed, not so that he can have Christians that look perfect and pristine, so that you can be happy and whole, that you, you can live a life of peace here on this earth. I think sometimes we think of Jesus as this egotistical man who's like, you just want me to worship you for an hour? Like we're just singing songs. But I say this all the time. When we worship God, it's not telling Jesus all these good things and feeding his ego. It's reminding ourselves who he is so that I can walk out and live my life in goodness and peace and mercy. I sing those songs to remind myself of who Jesus is. Yes, to worship him. Yes, to love on him. But it's also a reminder that, God, you're a good, big God. And you move mountains. And you've promised me that you will. And some of us have 